Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am one of your hosts, Travis, joined by my co-host, co-anchor, co-pilot, Matt, the Christmas man, Cantrell. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We're glad to discuss more of our Advent series with you guys this morning. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Matt started by talking about hope and led us through some great, you know, uh, you know, pushing against the lies of maybe false hope that we we put our confidence in certain things that actually don't bring us hope. I, I would like to just kind of go back and say I was listening to that on our way back from Iowa, and there were three things that stuck with me from the message. One is great job as you gave us multiple examples of false hope, what hope actually is, and that we can actually put all of our weight into the hope that is Jesus. Thanks. A lot of people uh, were making snowmen throughout Wichita. And I have received credit for using an Olaf illustration. And the hundreds of thousands of people who had listened went out and made snowmen. So you're welcome. The Olaf illustration is, is, was one of the things that, Sorry, two. that uh, you, you brought up as well. That I, I, could, I was with you because I remember the girls, London and Emma, were like, I remember taking them to like frozen on ice. Mm. Gosh, you talk about an experience. Experience, man. <laughs> um, but the other things were you brought up um, Hitler. Yeah, um, I tend to do that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Do you have a do you have a, a, a like a father complex? And you look at pass. St- <laughs> pass. I tend to have at least one qu- every time I teach. So, I tend to have one quote that, that when I finish, someone's like, did you mean to quote Stalin? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I so, did. Somewhere somewhere in your psyche, there's like a, a burning... Um, you know how everybody's reading <laughs> Hitler still and influenced by him. I, well, the part that I loved was you... You had, and there was a picture of like the campaign literature on, you know, you had a picture of it and it was like, look at Cam- look at uh, Hitler's campaign slogan. And everybody, <laughs> everybody was like, of course. I actually looked that up because um, I know there's potentially someone in, in our congregation who actually speaks German. And so I made sure to go to Google Translate and make sure that didn't say something like completely different. Hold on. Hold on. You went and asked. No, I didn't ask. A German person. Can you make sure this Hitler thought, advertisement <laughs> doesn't say anything negative? I, <laughs> <laughs> I thought this could really go south, so I better make sure I at least have my facts right. I just there was more. I did also that this is uh, unreasonable, but just uh, like an entrance into my brain a little bit. I made sure that I got the year right because if I got the year wrong, I thought that'll be the whole. <laughs> if I say 1937 and it's 32, 
It's gonna blow a hole in this whole thing. I it was it was you used it really well. It's just man, that's a strong take. Anytime when you use the name Hitler on anything, um, I, this is the other thing that I loved about it because there's multiple rows you could go. First on. time I preached, I tried to use Saddam Hussein as a, <laughs> as a an, an example, and I accidentally said Barack Obama. <laughs> we need. Uh, if you want to understand more about this, I think everyone needs to let us know um, in the comments or somewhere, wherever they would, wherever they would post something, mm-hmm. and just say, "Let's let's hear more about Matt's father complex." <laughs> what was the second point? <laughs> the second point was, I, I love that you introduced it by going like, "We're because we're you know we're getting into an election year this next year." And then I don't even know what I said. So you're like, oh, okay, Matt's going to give us some helpful election year kind of guidance. And he's like, here's a here's campaign Hitler. photo. <laughs> as, we're, as we're rushing towards Christmas, a new year, <laughs> and a, an election season, How will just you, remember Adolf Hitler. So let me let me sum up. What, overall, it's like, you know, uh, great. It was a great message. If, if if you're hearing this and you haven't watched his message, you need to go back and watch it because it is filled with great, great stuff um, about hope. And, and even his point on Hitler was helpful in thinking about hope and the way that we think about it and the way that we kind of look at political figures sometimes. Anyways. It's the best compliment you could have given me. <laughs> but I, I just love that we talked about hope and Matt at one point um, uses Olaf. I mean, this is this is a. I, got I would. Go, I could go to I a college. Range. I could go to a college <laughs> class and say, "I want you to do this. Give me a sermon on hope. Throw in Olaf. Yep. Seriously, not just jokingly, but throw in Olaf seriously. Mm-hmm. Give me a, a Hitler campaign poster. Mm-hmm. Give me make Winston Churchill try and make Winston Churchill look bad. Uh, yeah, get get that one. Add in. Passing gas in an elevator. That was not <laughs> intentional. And and a fishing trip with uh, Brady and and Ted, your father in law, and not Travis. That I'm never invited on, even though I feel like I'm getting closer to getting the invite. I feel You're like absolutely it, not. I feel like it. every year there's a little little. I think compassion is beginning to strike against the heel of your rigidity. In, in the in the in the Wilbur clan and the Wilbur family. So, anyways, we'll let that marinate. <laughs> but um, so yeah, great great message. Uh, I y- you and Brady have illustrations that sometimes people probably have a difficult. Brady had an illustration one time where he was talking about cereal, and and he, it was some contraption that someone got him. That was us. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, it was so his brother in law. No one life. knew what this contraption was because no one everyone that is a human that I know just takes the cereal box and pours it straight into the bowl. But Brady has a contract he's explaining yeah. his yeah, cereal your stuff. Insane. You guys go on fishing trips that are guided that you're not even you're not doing the work. You guys aren't fishing. Like me, when I go fishing, I have to bait my hook. I have to cast. I don't understand. Line. You don't understand the analogy, or you're frustrated that you don't get to experience both. It? Both of those. Okay. Both of those. I just want to critique. It felt like you really the... wanted to be mean to both of us. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Well, I mean, I got thrown. I got thrown under the bus in this. Um, I feel like I have a little bit of a comeback. You know, you said in it like, "Oh, Travis doesn't get to go." You know, that felt like a shot. To be fair, when we were gonna 
live stream without anyone in the audience, Travis's statement to me was, make it like you. And I said, so how many times do you want me to make fun of you while I'm talking? And you said, however many that you would like. Yeah. So you, I don't know what, you signed a check that you weren't ready to cash. Well, no, I, 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 I was. I'd let it stand, and I was gonna, but I was going to come on here and at least make a bit of a... <laughs> You're going to double back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's Advent, week one, <laughs> hope. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, and and yesterday I preached on on the week two, which is love. Love. Um, and my wife Nicole got up there and read really well. I surprised her with a little bit of information um, and made her feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. Um, it was fun to do. And yeah, yeah but just so you just behind the scenes, um, I was gonna read. And then Travis was going to, that sermon was initially going to be, he was going to say things about me. And then we kind of got closer to it and he was like, I probably should get Nicole up there. So we switched out. True. Just know who it was originally for. Um, In it, we talked about this idea. And and, uh, if you're you're listening to this and you're getting into the December 3rd week, um, we we have a reading plan available. Mm -hmm. So check on our social media pages. Um, if you yep. if we don't have your email, um, you know, make sure you give us an email. And let us know. Uh, you can email me, Travis at the District Church or Matt at the District Church and we can email you that reading plan that yep. will lead up to the twenty fourth, because on Christmas Day we celebrate Jesus's arrival. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday we talked about. Let me kind of bring us back into this Advent idea of love. Um, uh, a couple things. One, for you to have and be in a loving relationship, it doesn't just take receiving love, but also giving love. And so <coughs> it's a reciprocal um, interaction. Yep. In order to have love, it has to be reciprocal. And we used First John 4, where we learn kind of a different part of the Christmas story, which is God first loved us. And so Christianity is different from every other religion, really, because of this. One of the, one of those particular distinctions is First John, that God first loved us. We didn't make a move to Him; He made a move to us. Mm-hmm. And our response is a reciprocal one, in which now we have a because of Jesus, we have a relationship with God, where we're walking side by side, hand in hand father to son, father to daughter relationship, and that we're learning about love from both the source of love, God himself, and the example of love in Jesus. And then we get to walk with the presence of love, which is the Holy Spirit. But we said something that um, I think gets often forgotten in the Christmas story, and that is that we, we say this all the time. Churches even say this. Which is this is me being a little bit um, using it as a sermon point, and so it's unfair. But I, I meant it in, in a direct way that we say the reason for the season is Jesus, and that's we 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 parsed that out further yesterday, and we said actually the reason for the season is sin, hmm. and that when you actually get into why did Jesus come? Well, he came to save us. When he's introduced, even in the first part of the Gospels, 
um, one of the angels is declaring like he's come to save his people from their sin. Um, we know that from Jesus' own words that he came to seek and save the lost and we, we, we know that that being the overall purpose. So the reason for the season, the reason for Christmas is sin, but the motivation for Jesus' coming is love that he's motivated by his love for his people and wanting to redeem and save and rescue them. And then we talked about kind of the implications of what that means for us is that we get to then be uh, contagious with this love. We get to love as Jesus first loved us, show the love, be the love, carry the love with us because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, We also talked about the fact that the first time you see the word love in the Bible in the Old Testament is in Genesis 22, when Abraham is going to, about to, uh, he, he's taken Isaac up. God says to Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, whom you love. Is that So it's a father-son relationship where love is first mentioned. In the New Testament, in Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized and God says first, this is the first time it's, it's mentioned in the New Testament, um, this is my son whom I love. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus is, after Jesus is, is uh, baptized. So fascinating when you think of this idea of love, the Christmas season, the reason for the season being sin, but the motivation for Jesus's arrival is love. Um, kind of that whole idea of like, you can't, you can't really have Christmas without Easter because he's come for that one sole purpose of saving us from brokenness, redeeming us from it, and... What say you, Matt? Any commentary on that? Um, yeah, well, you also don't have that. When we talked about this a couple weeks ago, you don't have the first advent without the second advent either. It's it's all connected all the time. Right. Which this goes to, um, I mean, one of the things that I, that I love that is always uh, so refreshing and baffling to me is how interconnected all of God's story is. And so even you saying um, love for love to exist, it kind of has to be a two-way street. You're, that's my language, not yours. I was just having a conversation yesterday, and just to give you some Trinitarian theology, you accidentally stumbled into a conversation on the Trinity, as you do. Didn't quote Olaf or Hitler in that one, though. Um, but the when we talk God is love... God is, as a, as a being, God is self-existent, He's eternal, He's all these things, but something that we get hung up on, um, right, rightfully so, because it's kind of confusing, is the three-in-one nature of God, mm-hmm. and the Hebrew word for like, the Hebrew explanation for how God exists in three-in-one is like this picture of a, of a dance, this continual dance, and if God is love... Just to extrapolate it back, like mm-hmm. if God is love, He does not exist. So it's it's confusing. He doesn't exist like solely as one specific personality. Like there's in order for love to exist, there has to be the three persons of the Trinity. Because it's a reciprocal. Because it's a reciprocal mm-hmm. thing. Right. Right. Which is why He can He loves us as well. Is because he that's how that's his nature. He operates within that dance. Already. So yeah, you're saying he is himself love, mm-hmm. and if he is love, and love is reciprocal, then it has to be within a triune. There has to be there yeah. has to be reciprocal. Yeah, 
Yeah, which is just it's it's super cool and just even to think like that's what we're invited into. Yeah. It's great like that's the redemption story from one angle is that we're being invited into the I'm not a dancer so this doesn't sound quite as appealing but like the dance of love. That's super um man I uh this has nothing to do with necessarily what we're talking about but uh, love it. Love it already. <laughs> no, I mean I, I, I love the the uh, thinking through that because for people to I think they you know theology and sometimes you you get into the maybe deeper study people are like well you they can tune out quickly because they don't maybe they don't think about it as deeply but v- Victor Frankl says um, uh, a man who has no meaning. Or, or a man who has not found meaning in life mm-hmm. is inundated with pleasures or seeking pleasure. Hmm. And so sometimes the reason we get caught up in the pleasure of the flesh or the pleasure of life isn't just because it's fun, but it's because we've lacked finding meaning. Hmm. If, if, and you think about it, you extrapolate that down to like, if I find meaning in my day, it helps me say no to pleasures or, or whatever. If I find meaning in my humanity, if I find meaning in my family and my marriage, if my marriage means nothing, then I'm going to try and fill the void with pleasure. If my, my family means nothing, then I'll try and fill the void. But if my, if those things actually provide meaning and come from some source of meaning, Mm -hmm. then it actually helps me not just say no to pleasure, but actually helps me deepen my, definition and pursuit of, of, of pleasure and in, in, in yeah. some way shift. So yeah, that's interesting. So when we, when we talk about things like that, it's, it's important to go, man, if, if God is that way and, and he's provided meaning in the relationship that he exists in the try like in a Trinity, um, characterization, like that helps deepen my understanding of him and therefore of my life mm-hmm. and my purpose and my existence. And um, so I think what's, what's uh, interesting when you talk about love is that some people will be, so if you go on the flip side and you're trying to convince somebody that God is love, they'll say, well, God isn't all that loving because if he was loving, he would do this for me now. He would get this for me or he would share this with me or he wouldn't have taken this person from mm-hmm. me or he would, you know. And so it's all about what God has not done yet for that person. And so that's where we kind of, you know, take that to the surface. And it's like uh, Christmas. Um, we try to find God, if you love me, then you'll have the right present will be under the tree. The right, right car will be in the driveway. The right person will be in my house, whatever. Um mm-hmm. But the reason for the season being sin actually actually helps us go, wow, the greatest gift that God could give me, he's already given me. Like the thing that I need most or want most or um, have been seeking most. This um, I, I talked about um, the uh, pining, um, the old holy night song. Um if you, if you look at like what pining means, we sing it and it's the old school. Mm-hmm. But when when we are in sin, there's a pining means where we have this deep, long-suffering urge within us that we're pining for. We're like, 
were just like seeking something and and the seeking that that song illustrates is the yearning that we have the pining that we have is to be made whole and be made right mm. and that that is the christmas is this microcosm of a story that's like we're yearning for love and god himself is love mm-hmm. and he first loved us and so the yearning and the urges and the brokenness that we see is actually completely and utterly fulfilled in Jesus. Search could be over. We could have everything we need in that in, in Jesus mm-hmm. just waiting for him. Like, and, and so when you, when, you, when you get to that, it's like the song ends with like, fall on your knees and like hear. Correct response. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like. So, yeah, anyways, just Well, that could even go back to the, I mean, it does naturally. It goes back to a conversation that we had last year um, as we've talked about the broken chains stuff. What is the broken chains? Is the two bottomless pits we have a relationship and significance, right? Yeah. And we seek to try and shove things into those pits that will yeah. never fill them. Uh, another thought I had is you're talking about the like the, uh, the first time that love is used, Old Testament, New Testament, is in regard to a father-son relationship. Um, we've been in my hub, have been going through the book of Hosea for a while. It's just a shout out and a plug. We're going to be putting, uh, we'll be relaunching hubs at the beginning of the year. So if you're not in a hub, there's a fresh opportunity. Um, <clears throat> just uh, a, a great forming opportunity way for us to, to grow deeper in faith with Jesus. But we have been talking about Hosea and the premise of Hosea is kind of crazy. God talks to it. He actually says the first message that Hosea received from God was to go and marry a prostitute, which is like, dude, throw me a bone, give me a better message first and then come with that one. <laughs> but, um, in the midst of this, so they have the first couple chapters where this is the analogy that's being used to describe God and Israel and then God kind of pivots. He's spending like seven chapters. It's like a courtroom scene where God is saying all the different things that that Israel has done wrong, all of the shortcomings, all of the places where they've failed to obey his law, to listen to his people, all of these things. And then he kind of pivots to this relationship of a father to a child. So if I can read a couple of these verses in Hosea 11. Um God says, I, I led them. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And then he goes down, he says, I led them with cords of kindness or mercy, with bands of love, became to want them as one who eases the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. And then he goes on and he says, he says, uh, my people are bent on turning away from me, though they call out to the Most High, he will not raise them up at all. And then he, right after this, he, he has like this gut-wrenching phrase, He says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over to Israel? Or how can I, excuse me, how can I hand you over Israel? And he's sharing like his his heart, this love that he has for his people. Mm. And he's using this phrase when he's saying, he he says like, I taught them. I didn't read this part. Uh, He says, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. And he takes this picture of like when you're first teaching a child to walk, you're holding their arms like above their head and you're walking with them. Mm-hmm. And this is the analogy that's used mm-hmm. throughout Scripture. You go to Ezekiel 16, which if you've never read Ezekiel 16, it is a trip. Mm-hmm. Um, it just shows how, how much God loves his people like a child and, and how his people have continually run away from him. 
And uh, even in this passage in Hosea 11, he's showing it's showing God's heart and all of like the outrageous, merciful and, and gracious love that God offers to his people. And then he will go back and forth like a pinball pinball. He shows his love and then he shows how the people respond, his love, how the people respond mm. <clears throat> all the way down through the chapter. And then when he concludes the last verse is back to this is how the people are. So he shares his heart, and I think there's some symbolism there in that he shows his heart and his unfailing love, his long-suffering, his loving kindness, all of these things. And then at the end of this like beautiful statement about how he loves his people like children, he expresses they still are not following me. They're still not chasing after me. They're still not receiving what I, the type of love I have for them. So it's crazy to think that is exactly... That's exactly what at the advent expresses. Well, when you when you think about that, um, love <clears throat> in our language is often we're we're looking for it to an, uh, evoke something emotive. Mm-hmm. We're looking for an emotion when we think about love. We can't help but think love and then think, well, it's it's got to be attached to a feeling. That's why yep. we always talk about falling in love or out of love or I don't feel it or <clears throat> whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you look at so what you're talking about with a with a parent with a child, mm-hmm. um, maybe the greatest act of love I've ever shown, I didn't feel. Hmm. So when I remember having London, uh, you know, bring her home, London was a difficult baby because she was. I think she was. It's like the first kid in your house. And so y- you as a parent are hovering. Mm-hmm. Is she alive? Yeah. <laughs> She's still breathing. Is everything good? But, and, and Nicole did this a thousand times more than me. But, but every now and then when, you know, especially when Nicole had like fed London and laid her back down mm-hmm. and it just was, she wasn't hungry. She just was like fussy and just crying in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. I, I would get up go in, pick up London, and she would always sleep on us, but not sleep super well in the bed. We had to learn like sleep training and all that. Mm-hmm. But there'd be moments of going in in the middle of the night, not feeling like it, almost frustrated, mm-hmm. but pick up my little baby girl, set her on my chest, and like be up in the middle of the night just taking care of her. That is a picture of love more than an emotion of love. It's an it's an action and an activity. Yeah. And so it... So for us, love doesn't have to start with that emotive piece. It starts with the action of it. And that's what we mean when we say reciprocal. Is like my relationship with God is is much the same way. Him with me. I mean, I'm the baby in that. He's mm. not, you know, I'm not the one caring for him. Yeah, like he's caring for me. And as I grow and develop, it's like I want to be sitting more with dad. I want to be. I want to show up to those conversations or those times to just be in his presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a driven to show action, which is, again, it's like Jesus goes to the cross as an action, as the example and the source of love. We see it on the cross. God gives his son to us to be the sacrifice we could not be to cover the sin we could not cover because he's a God of uh, love. He has to be a God of justice. and all. So anyways, yeah. it's just that whole, the, the imagery of love should not, it doesn't necessarily need to strike in us first an emotion. It should first strike an action 
when someone says they love me, it shouldn't make, do, do I feel that's true? Mm-hmm. Have I seen that to be true? If my mom says she loves me, it's not just a feeling that I get that I know it's true. Mm-hmm. I, I, can, I can think of what my mom has done for me. Um, f- similar with Nicole and um, my family and friends and you know people in my life. It's an action that I should be able to go to because that's the same with God. When I think of his love, when he says he first loved me, the action I can go to is Christ on the cross. Right. He bent um, down. Yeah. Which is just to go back to this passage. That's what it's. God is predicting that this is the type of love that he has. He says, like, I'm, I'm I bent down. And what's in, what's really interesting is what I was I was going to get to. So maybe it's not as applicable, but it's still in my brain and it's burning. But he says, my people are bent on turning away from me. And he, his judgment, and this is really significant for a lot of us, is we tend to see God as like punitive. And what he does is, you broke my law, you didn't check the boxes, therefore I'm angry at you. Justice has to be done right there. And that's like the end of it. We just mm-hmm. see God as kind of cold. But what he is expressing in this passage is like the, the, the frustration as God is chasing after his people, after his children, and the judgment that's going to come. It is in part because they broke his law, but more than anything, the way he expresses it is that you didn't return to me, mm. which is that word repentance. Mm. Or it's not in Hebrew there, but that's like that's the definition of repentance is returning back to me. And he's he's expressing like this is what judgment is, will come from is your lack of turning back to me. It's mm. not because I don't like you. Right. It's the exact opposite. No, I bent down. And then what is really comforting in this this is like a really significant verse. If you've read Hosea or if you heard somebody quote Hosea, it's, it's generally this. How can I give you up? How can I hand you over? Hmm. How can I surrender you? And what we realize when we look at Advent and Easter mm-hmm. is that he didn't hand us over. He didn't surrender us. He handed us his son. Mm-hmm. He surrendered his son. Yeah which is not, it's not an emotional, I gave him up because I, you are so much better and I'm so in awe with you. It's the, started with love. He loves, he created us, he loves us, and he went to the, the greatest degree in order to show that. So yeah. love is an action. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, <clears throat> I think when we, when we consider... Uh, Advent, and again, remember, remember that Advent is uh, is is remembering that Christ has come, and he is he has taken care of our sin, and, uh, and f- by faith in Him, we we have the covering um, and the forgiveness and the redemption of our sins, and then it's also an anticipation of mm-hmm. Christ's second coming that we look forward to the day when He restores all things, um, makes all things. Um, under his rule and in his kingdom and all, all, all of the above. So, um, yeah, we want to keep that in the forefront of our minds. We've, we've, we've started with hope. We've built on it with love. And we'll keep connecting it as we um, continue to anticipate the coming king, um, the coming that has already happened, and the, and the coming that has not yet happened in Jesus. So hope you guys continue to join us. Read along in scripture with that plan. Have a great week.